you know, I was just sitting back there worshiping, and, you know, I just, you know, I talked to the Lord, and, I, you know, I, I, I would love for at least one moment, one time in my life to accurately be able to describe my love for Jesus. I mean, it feels so limited. I feel so uh, limited in, in trying to describe or, or put into words what he means to me. You know, so I'm sitting here and I'm praying, you know, Lord, look, look past my words and see my heart. I, I would love to be able to describe to you what he means to me. I love, I'd love for you to be able to uh, understand uh, j- just from my perspective what, what, what I feel for him because I love him so much. I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. And uh, it's good to be here with you. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and turn over to the book of Second Kings chapter number 7. Second Kings chapter number 7. And I want to talk to you this morning for, for a few moments on escaping the traps of life. And I believe somewhere in, in this story, in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at and, and read, that, that you're going to be able to find yourself in this story at some point. And if you're not in, in, involved in, in any of these things at the present time, I can promise you sooner or later you'll find yourself in, in one of these uh, traps that uh, all too often as we go through life that we find ourselves in. But we're going to start reading at verse number 3, 2 Kings chapter number 7, starting at verse 3. And the first word is a, is a key word. It says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine in the, is in the city as well, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall also die. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. The, the, these men are in a desperate situation, a, a huge crisis. Verse 5, And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there, because the Lord was working on their behalf. Verse 6, For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news. And if we remain silent, if we wait until the morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help me today to communicate your words, your wisdom, the the message that you want to speak to your people in a way that is understandable in a way where we can receive from you 
and personally and practically apply it to our life because, Lord, we're not blessed just because we hear the word. We're blessed if we do it. So help us to be uh, people who hear your word today with a heart attitude that we want to obey what we hear. If somebody finds themselves in, in this story at some place, at some point, I pray that you give them instruction and wisdom and guidance on what they need to do and that, God, that you begin to move on their behalf. And God will give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Escaping the, the, the traps of life. Now, this is an incredible story that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 7. And what we see in this story is that in Samaria, the people that live in Samaria are in a very desperate situation. There's a famine in the land, and it is so desperate that the people are in a, a place uh, or at a point of complete and total starvation. Nobody's excluded from this famine. Nobody's excluded from this crisis that they're going through. Everybody is being affected by it. Even the king is being affected by it. But the first thing that the king does at this time, he's the man that's in charge. He's the one that is on the throne. The first thing that the king does, instead of being proactive, instead of doing something positive, instead of doing something that would be helpful and beneficial for everyone, instead of taking responsibility and taking proper action to make things better, what this man does is he does what everybody else does, and he starts blaming somebody else for the problems that are going on. This king, instead of trying to, to help lift the burden, instead of trying to do something, because this is not the first famine that's happened in Israel. This is not the first crisis that the nation's been in. You know, this is not the, the, the first time that they found themselves in a desperate situation. But this man, instead of doing something helpful and beneficial, he begins to blame somebody else for what's going on. And the person that he blames for all the problems going on in, in the land of Israel is the prophet Elisha. And the truth is this, we are much more like the king than we are the prophet Elisha. You know, when things begin to go wrong in our life, when, when things begin to take a, a downward turn, when things don't work out the way that we hoped they had worked out, when we experience disappointment or heartbreak or even go through a, a season of, of pain and suffering, uh, instead of, of looking to God for solutions, instead of looking maybe within ourselves for, for the reasoning and taking responsibility for, for our own actions as a result of of, of how we, we reacted negatively to what we're going through, we, we begin to blame somebody else. We play the blame game. And, and the blame game goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? With Adam and Eve. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when God confronted Adam about his sin, what did he do? He blamed his wife, right? He blamed the woman. When God confronted Eve about her sin, what did she do? She blamed the devil. She blamed the serpent. And so they're just passing blame. They're not accepting any personal responsibility. And, and the truth is there's a lot of people that like to play the role of a victim because it justifies their negative and poor reactions to a situation that is not necessarily fun and enjoyable. 
enjoyable. And so what we want to do is that we want to play the victim and blame everybody else for the problems that actually we've, we've created for ourselves. It's very rare to find somebody that is willing to accept responsibility for the problems in their own life. But one thing I've learned is this. Nothing will ever get better in your life until you're willing to take responsibility for your own actions. This is how I know when people are at least at the point that they're ready to change. People are not even at the point that they're ready to change until they start looking within themselves and saying, I'm responsible for where that I am today. So this king, he he just defaults to blaming other people. He he begins to blame Elisha for the problems that that are going on. Now, now what I see in this story are, are four traps that I believe every single one of us can relate to. And the first trap I want to talk about is what I'm calling the mouth trap. I think that's going to be up on the, uh, on the screen. The, the mouth trap. Now listen, words are incredibly powerful. Words are extremely powerful. Think about this. When God got ready to create the world and, and everything in it, he spoke. He spoke words. God loves words. His name is the word of God. When Jesus comes back, he's going to have a name written down the side of him that is called the word of God. God loves words. Words are important. Words are powerful. The Bible said in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So the words that we speak, our tongue, what comes out of our mouth is extremely powerful. Your words are carriers of destiny or they're carriers of destruction. David understood the power of words. That's why he said in Psalms 39 verse 1, he said, Put a guard around my mouth, lest I sin with my tongue. So when we're talking about mouth traps, we're talking about being hung by the tongue. We're talking about letting negativity, letting critical things come out of our mouth, uh, allowing doubt and unbelief and, and grumbling and complaining and whining and, 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 and letting all this corrupt communication come out of our mouth. It's very easy when things start to go bad for us to, uh, for us to become a very negative and critical person. You have to watch out for mouth traps. Now, what we need when we find ourselves in a situation like this And maybe we won't find ourselves particularly in a specific thing like a famine where we're at the point of starvation or something like that. But sooner or later, your life is going to end up right in the middle of a crisis. You've probably been through a crisis a time or two in your life. You've been through some things that are very, very difficult. And and what we need when we're in the middle of a crisis more than anything else in the world is a word from God. We need to know what God's word says We need to know God's wisdom. We need to know God's counsel. We we need somebody that will be willing to tell us the truth. We need somebody that loves us enough that that will confront us, care front us. Confront us. Caring comes before confronting, but loves us enough to speak the truth in love and tell us what the real problem is. Now, now we need somebody that will, will speak truth. Because it's the truth that'll set us free. But the, lot of, the truth is there's a lot of people that don't like to hear the truth. We don't want to hear really what the issues are. And so we need somebody. I, you know, I say it like this all the time. An enemy will stab you in the back, but a friend will stab you in the chest. 
The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so, here, here Elijah is, 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 Elijah is the prophet in Israel at this moment. And, and he's the man of God. He's the man of the hour. He's the man that's carrying the word of God. And he's got a good word to share with people that are in crisis. I mean, he's got a good word. There's some people that are so miserable, even God can send them a word from heaven about their situation, and they won't even believe it. There's a lot of people, they have more faith in the devil to destroy them than they do in God to save them. And so Elisha has a word from God about people who are in a crisis that, that, that are in a severe famine that are at the point of, of, of starvation. And so what we see in this story is the king and the king's advisors are listening to the wrong people. They're listening to everybody except the one person that they should be listening to, and that's the prophet Elisha. Look what he says here in verse 1. He gives them a good word. Verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, there will be plenty of food to eat in Samaria. That's a good word if you're starving to death. Amen? How I many, if you're in a famine, you, you want to receive, I receive that. Amen. Right? You would think that that would be something they would gladly receive. But how do these people respond to a good word from God? You would think they would be encouraged. You'd think that they would be ready to jump on board. You would think they'd be shouting and praising hallelujah to, to the Lord for, for what he's about to do. But how do they respond? They respond negatively, critically, and they even go as far as to mock what the prophet has told them about the situation. Look what it says here in verse 2. Here's their response. Look, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven open up, could this thing be? They basically says, you are full of it. And that's a lot of other people's attitudes in the church today. Maybe nobody goes to church here. Maybe they go to other churches, not, not here, because everybody here is just, you know, you know happy, and, and they're thrilled to death to be here. They love Jesus. You know, they praise God. Right? But basically, they mock the prophet. They said, what they're saying is, you're right. I know you're telling us what we want to hear. They're in a famine. This man gives them a good word. You would think they would receive it with gladness, but they actually mock the word of God. If the Lord were to open up the windows of heaven, could this thing be? Listen. When you're going through something very difficult enough, if you're in a point of crisis, if you're at a point of desperation where, where these people were, you need a word from God. And not only do you need a word from God, you need to be able to receive that word from God, and you need to be able to apply that word from God, and you need to be able to walk in that word from God. Because here's what the Scripture says. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, he says, You have need of perseverance. That after you have done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. Sometimes the victory or the miracle or the deliverance that God is going to send in our life only comes after the fulfillment of our complete obedience to his instruction. That was good right there. Sometimes the victory you're looking for, the deliverance that you're expecting, the breakthrough, whatever that may be in your life, I would dare say oftentimes, the majority of time, maybe almost every time that 
that doesn't take place until the fulfillment of our complete obedience. Now, here's the way we are in the church in America. We live in a democracy where everybody has an opinion, right? Everybody has the right to have their own opinion. That's true. It's good. God will let you have your own opinion. There's, there's nothing wrong with your opinion unless your opinion doesn't line up with what God says. So, so it's important for us to, to understand we need to come into agreement with what God is saying. This man has a good word. He says, you know what? By this time tomorrow, there'll be plenty of food to eat. They don't receive it. They're so, they, they've been in this season of their life for so long. The pain is so difficult. It, it's so hard that they've allowed the hardship they went through to make them bitter and cynical and desperate and negative. And instead of being able to respond properly to the word of God and obey it and receive it, they mock it. Now, here's what I've learned. I've been pastoring for a while now. The average person in a local church in America either reads the Word of God or hears a message from the Word of God every Sunday with an attitude as if obedience to that Word is an option. It's optional. Now, this is how you know if you're one of those people. How many of you could tell me what Clay preached about last week? Easy now, I might call you out and ask you. Because I talked to a lot of people who said, listen, well, what, what, what did I preach on last week? We said, man, that was a great word. What was it you preached about? Listen, you, you got to come with an attitude, you're going to hear from God. Somewhere in this message, you're going to hear God's voice in my voice. He's going to speak to you, and you have to be ready to receive it and then act upon it once you leave here. He might ask you to act upon it while you are here, but I can promise you when you leave here, he's going to give you some kind of instruction. And if you're in a crisis, if you're in a situation where you need God to come through in your life and you're waiting on God to do something, the truth is you may not be waiting on God. God might be waiting on you. So obedience to the Word of God is not optional. It's normal. That should be our normal response. We, we need to be able to receive from God and apply. If you see me, and again, I'm not saying I'm the perfect Christian. I mean, when, when I'm not preaching, if I'm down here, you'll see me smoking a pen throughout whoever's preaching's message. I'm writing things down. I'm listening. You know, you know my, my spiritual father told me it's better to have a short pencil than a long memory. I'm going to write things because God's going to say something to me and I want to be able to not just remember it, begin to apply it to my life wherever that area is that he's speaking to me in. So, but you have to be careful for mouth traps. What comes out of your mouth when things don't go your way? It could be that you're hung by your tongue and the only way that you can get out of that is to repent. Amen? Here's the second thing. Second trap that I see in here is what I call the desperation trap. First trap is the mouth trap. Second trap is the desperation trap. Again, what's happening here in Samaria in this story that we read about, they're in a real crisis. It's a matter of life or death. People are literally starving to death. There's absolutely nothing for them to eat. So they're in a desperate situation. 
If you go back a chapter and you read, you can really get an idea of just how bad the situation is. Because the Bible says in chapter 6 of 2 Kings that the crisis, the famine was so bad, people were actually, women were actually cooking and eating their own babies. That's pretty bad. Now, now before we think and, and, and drop judgment on these women for for eating their own children. That sounds so, so extreme. Listen, you know, here's the truth. Desperate people do desperate things. Some of us, we're in a desperate situation. And instead of receiving an instruction from God and bringing correction in our life, we continue to feed the very thing that is killing us. I mean, I wonder how many relationships have been destroyed because they were unwilling to change their direction, unwilling to receive an instruction, unwilling to make some adjustments in their life so that they could get directly in the center of God's will. So before we judge and drop judgment on these women for what they did, ask yourself, what have I been willing not to give up in order to make myself happy, that's cost me relationships, relationship with my wife, relationship with my... Now listen, truth is this, there's a lot of folks that they're unwilling to give up their pride. I see this all the time in relationships and in, in marriages. Listen, they would rather be right than be in relationship. But the truth is, better to lose your pride with somebody you love than lose somebody you love because of your pride. A lot of us, we want to hold on. We would rather feel justified in our actions because the truth is if, 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 if you hadn't done what you did in this situation, we'd never been where we're at right now in the first place. And so therefore, we, we want to feel justified because we're the victim in this whole thing. We don't have any responsibility to anything that's going on in this relationship. So therefore, I'm going to hold to my right to be a victim over the problem that I contributed to. Man, I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. So they're cooking and eating their own children. Now again, children should have the utmost value in our lives, yet, you know what? We sacrifice our relationship with our children because we work so much, because we're in so much debt, because we've got to have so many things. Some people don't need more money. They just need less debt. That's why you should go to Daring Stewardship. It was so good, I, I, I'm telling Rachel, go through it again. She's not in here today, though, is she? But things, it's very easy for things to get out of balance. It's very easy that when you find yourself in a desperate situation, that out of desperation you make a bad situation worse. That's exactly what these women did. Because they did not have a foundation in the Word of God, they couldn't even receive a word from God, from a man of God, that was good news about their situation. Therefore, they reacted foolishly. Lots of people react foolishly because they've been in the same situation they've been in for so long, they don't think anything's ever going to change again. 
you've settled and you've accepted that this is the way that it's always going to be. These people had settled they were going to die as a result of the famine, so therefore we're willing to sacrifice our own children. So, if you don't think that you're in a desperate situation and that, that you're not in the baddest situation that they're in, you may not be. But sooner or later, you'll find yourself in a, in a situation where you will have to give up something you thought you had to have in order to keep something you thought that you needed. Especially in the Western world where we're so materialistic. In words, I can't go there. i got to keep on going. Now look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. You need a word from God. Here's what it says. My son, give attention to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are what? Life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Jesus said, you should, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That word proceeds is a present tense word, not past tense. There's a lot of people that are living off yesterday's word and miss out on today's miracle. God's speaking every day. He's speaking to us all the time. But hearing God's voice and receiving what God's saying are two totally different things. And so if you're in a desperate situation, I come to give you a good word this morning. Sometimes people think it's too good to be true, but that's the gospel. The gospel is, if the gospel's not too good to be true, then it's not really the gospel. God doesn't want to give you what you deserve. God wants to give you what you don't deserve. God doesn't want to give you justice. God wants to give you mercy. But God can't give you mercy because you want to give somebody else justice. Now, we, we want people to get what they deserve, but we don't want God to give us what we deserve. Right? Sometimes it's those simple, small things that we don't think are very important that keeps us from getting out of the situation that we're in. Now, here's the third thing. Third trap I see here is the time trap. We have the mouth trap. We have the desperation trap. And we have the time trap. Look at verse 3. First word, now. Everybody say now. Now. Now's the only moment you've got. Right now is the only moment that you have. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow may never come. Now is all you've got. But until you understand the value of a moment, you'll never get out of the situation that you're in. I mean, I see God, he speaks every week. And you can sense God speaking to people, drawing people. But when it comes time to respond to God during an altar call or even just in times of prayer at home or, or in our, we want to fight, we want to wrestle. We want to consider how we feel more than what God feels. We, we, we don't even, we think obedience is some kind of a radical idea that only on-fire Christians do. But ordinary Christianity, normal Christianity, is Christianity that is obedient to what God says. Now there were four leprous men. Now these four leprous men are the, are the key to understanding this whole story 
And not just the key to understanding the whole story, they are the key to turning the whole situation around. But the key to understanding what God is going to do through these four lepers is understanding the first word, and the first word is now. Now there were four leprous men. God was going to use these four lepers to turn the whole situation around. Now it's important for you to know something about these lepers. And what I want you to know about these lepers is that none of these lepers grew up or started their life intending to become a leper. As they were growing up as children, they never thought to themselves, well, when I grow up, I want to be a leper. Yet that was what ultimately happened. Something happened in their life that was negative, that was difficult, that was almost too much for them to handle in their life. And then at this point in their life, they found themselves in a place that they never ever thought they would find themselves in. Some of you, or you're, those same, you're just like these lepers. You're at a place right now. At one point in your life, you had dreams, you had goals, you, you had purpose, you had vision, you, you, had, you, you were on fire for God, you wanted to serve the Lord, you were committed to Him, you, He was first in your life, and all of a sudden, something happened that caused you to take a step back. Something happened in your life that caused you to veer off in another direction. And right now in your life, you're in a place that you never intended for yourself to be in. That's exactly where these lepers find themselves. They never grew up saying, I want to be a leper when I grow up. Now these, five, or these four leprous men, they were in a bad situation. But they were not in a hopeless situation. See, the problem is this. A lot of people will let a bad situation define who they are as an individual and also chart the course for the rest of their life. The reason most people walk in discouragement and, and depression and defeat is they let a bad moment turn into a bad life. They let a bad day turn into a bad week, into a bad year, and to a bad decade, and to a bad life. They don't know how to let go of the past. They don't know how to let go of, of, of that moment of time in their life. Therefore, they hold on to that moment and let that moment define them. Now, I want to encourage you to write this statement down. Vision defines life. Vision defines life and life redefines vision vision defines life and then life redefines vision not everything is going to turn out the way you hoped it would but there's a lot of people that come to Jesus because of life enhancement. Come to Jesus and your life's going to get better. Come to Jesus and your life's going to get easier. Come to Jesus for all of, of the benefits. Come to Jesus because your motivation is to, to live a better life. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you happy. He died on the cross to make you holy. 
And God is more concerned about you becoming holy than he is for you to becoming happy. And so you, you, you have this vision for your life. You've got plans, you've got dreams, you've got goals. Then something bad happens. And then you give up on those dreams. You give up on those plans and you give up on those goals. Again, I see this happen all the time Unfortunately, when people get married. A lot of people get married and they lose their ambition for living. They give up their dreams. They settle in some kind of sense of false security that now they're just going to kind of live day by day and just take it easy, and therefore they settle into this routine. They're unhappy. They work 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. They kind of go through the motions. It happens in, 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 in the church all the time, and you settle in this lifestyle of mediocrity, and all of a sudden even Jesus becomes boring to you. How can the one who died on the cross for your sin become boring to you? I mean, how's that possible? I mean, how, how can that Because somewhere along the way, you've settled into this kind of lifestyle, and instead of Jesus being all your life, he's part of your life. You compartmentalize your life so much, you're not even a whole person anymore. So on Sunday morning, you come in and you do your nine to five. You, you, know, you, you clock in and then you clock out and you think you've done your spiritual act of service. It's very easy. It's very easy to get in that kind of condition. But it tends to happen when something goes wrong in our life. But at some point, something is going to happen. Maybe it already has. I, I don't know. But something's going to happen where life redefines the vision that you once had. And therefore, that moment in time has redefined you, your vision, your future, your plans, your goals, your dreams. And you lose everything and you settle in becoming a lukewarm Christian as if that's the life God intended for you to live. It happens in relationship with God happens in our relationship with our husband or our wife. It happens in our relationship with our children. It happens in our, our workplace. God has blessed us. Has God blessed you? Has God been good to you? Has God taken care of you? Has God always been there for you? Then why are you living settled in a state of complete mediocrity and just religious going through the motions. Something happened. People don't know how to get past yesterday. But here's the difference between somebody that walks in victory and defeat. Somebody that walks in victory understands for better or for worse, yesterday ended last night. No matter how good yesterday was, and no matter how bad yesterday was, Yesterday ended last night. Today is a brand new day, and the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Every morning today is a new day. Now, there were four 
leprous men. So the real question is this. You can't help what happened. You can't go back and change what happened. The disappointment's real. The pain's real. The suffering's real. The hardship is real. The heartbreak is real. The, all, that, all that stuff is real. The question you have to ask yourself is, what are you going to do about it? Spend the rest of your life living in regret? The trap of yesterday is the trap of regret. And regret will destroy everything in your life. That's what, that's what these lepers had to say to themselves. They began to talk to themselves and to each other. Are we just going to sit here until we die? Is that the way you want to live the rest of your life? You just sit where you're at? Accept the way things are. Settle for something less than God's best for your life and say, I'm just going to sit here until I die. That's no way to live. I'd rather die than live that way. That's not the life God intended for you to live. So what are you going to do about it? These four leprous men asked themselves, look at verse 3. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? You can't go back and relive yesterday. Yesterday is gone. They said, you know what? If we go back to the city, we're going to die. If I go back to yesterday, I'm going to die. Some of you are dying spiritually, emotionally, mentally, because you're trying to go back and live in what happened yesterday. As if God is not here in this moment with you. There's never a moment in your life where God never is. You know, I've said this before. There's moments when God is silent, but there's never a moment when God is absent. Even in the worst moments of your life, even in the greatest pain in your life, even in the most suffering in your life, God is never absent. He might be silent, but he's never absent. But this is what I've learned when God is silent. The teacher never talks while the test's going on. When the test goes on, the teacher's silent. So if I'm not out of the situation that I'm currently in, or if this is a prolonged season in my life that I feel like it's never going to end or nothing's ever going to change, then I should start asking myself, is there something I'm not learning that God wants me to get? See, we never really fail God's test. We just keep taking them over and over and over again until we pass. Oh, happy day, happy day. God's good now, isn't he? That's, that's the way things are. The children of Israel took the same test over and over and over and over again, and they never got it. And they died in the wilderness, never entering into the promised land. But your destiny is not to die in the wilderness. Your destiny is waiting for you in the promised land. But you've got to pass the test. And be careful of traps. But you can't go back and relive yesterday. I'm going to wrap this up then go ahead and come to music. You can't relive yesterday. They said, if we go to the city, we'll die there. You can't remain where you are 
Why? Because he said, if we sit here, we're going to die. And then they said, well, if we go to the camp and the Syrian army kills us, we will but surely die. So what are we going to do? We're going to go back to yesterday and wallow in self-pity and allow that moment to, de- to define who we are as an individual and what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? Or are we going to be paralyzed, gripped with fear, afraid to do something because God may not show up and I might get disappointed again and I don't like getting disappointed though I've been disappointed about a three million times in my life. How many times have you been disappointed in your life up to this point? Why? Maybe it's not other people. Maybe it's not God. Maybe it's not situations. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's our expectation. Because here's what I've learned. We want God. We want Jesus. We want the Holy Spirit. We want church. We want ministry. We want heaven. All on our terms. Right? We don't want to be inconvenienced by anything at all. We're busy. Right? Got things to do. Got jobs. I mean, I know this is tough. I'm just saying, sooner or later, you're going to have to evaluate what's most important in your life. You can't go relive yesterday. You can't sit and remain where you're at. Then you got to get up and do something. And you got to get up and do something now. The trap of yesterday is the trap of regret. You can't relive yesterday, but you don't have to sit and remain where you're at. Get up, take all of the disappointments that you've been through with you, and move. Do something. Well, I don't know what to do. Do something. Don't just stay where you're at. Don't just continue to allow your feelings and emotions to control you. The Bible says when the prodigal son came to his senses, he said to himself, I will arise. Some of you, God's just trying to bring you to your senses. So like the prodigal son, you will arise and go to your father. You know what? His expectation of his father was far different than the reaction of his father. He arose, he went to his father with his head down, expecting to be punished, expecting that he wouldn't be received, expecting not anything good or positive, but at least he'd have something to eat. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be considered your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And you know what his father said? "Mm -mm. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care where you've been. There's never a moment in your life where you'll cease to be anything less than the king's son. Isn't that good news? No matter what he's done, no matter his failures his disappointments, his shortcomings, his mistake, even his sin, because he was a hardcore sinner. The Bible says that he spent his entire inheritance on wild living. 
But his father said, that'll never define you. That'll never define who you are. You're more than that. Here's the last thing. Stand with me. The last trap is the fear trap. Verse 8 says, And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and they ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back, entered another tent, and carried some from there also, and they went and they hid it as well. So what did these, what, what did these lepers do? Again, they've been in a famine. They're starving to death, right? And finally, there's a breakthrough. Finally, something good happens. And what do they do? They ate and 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 they ate until they couldn't eat anymore. Then what they do? They took what was remaining and they did what with it? Talk to me. What they do? They took it and hid it. Why did they hide what was left over? Because they were afraid that they would run out and there would be nothing for them tomorrow. God had moved for them. God had done a miracle for them. God had provided for them. God had come through. He'd been faithful. He turned the situation around. And they were living in a God moment. But they still had a beggar's mentality. They were still a slave to what happened yesterday. Yesterday they were starving to death. Today their stomachs are more than full. But what about tomorrow? See, the, the trap of fear... Or the trap of tomorrow is the trap of fear. Some of you, you've got that same mentality. God's come through for you. He's been faithful to you. Everybody here have got moments in their life where they've had historically changed. God has historically changed everything for you. Just when you think you wouldn't come through, he did. Just when you thought you couldn't handle anymore, he helped you persevere. Just when you thought that, that it was the end, God came and rescued you. Everybody here has those moments. You know those moments. You've experienced those moments, but you've forgotten those moments because the pain that you're going in presently has gripped you with fear that tomorrow it may not change. Why should I go to the altar? Nothing might... This is going to change. God's not going to change anything. It's always going to be this way. It's a, it's a mindset. It's, it's a mindset that you've settled, you've accepted, you've took ownership. This is the way it's always going to be. And then it says here in verse 9, Then they said one to another, What we're doing is not right. And if we remain silent, something bad will come upon us. Now therefore, come... Let us go and tell the king's household. Listen, it wasn't until they went and shared the good news that their victory over fear was complete. Some of you are, are wanting God to bring you out of your current crisis 
and you've never praised God from the past crisis that he brought you out of before this one. You've not testified. You've not told anybody. You've been silent. You've kept your mouth shut. You've become a nice church person. You don't have the smile on your face. You don't have the joy of the Lord. You don't ever mention his name at work. You've become perfectly content with being miserable. And you're in a bad situation now and you didn't do anything or tell anybody or give thanks to God for what he's done in your past. Therefore, you're stuck in this trap. Come, let us go and tell. Go and tell. Maybe you're here this morning and you found yourself in one of these traps. Are you just going to sit there until you die? Are you just going to try to blend in with everybody else and pretend like you don't even have any problems and walk back out the door the same way that you walked in? Are you just going to allow the very thing that has defined you in your past to keep you where you are and no hope for change in the future? Now there were four leprous men. If you're here this morning and you're in one of, involved in one of these traps, God speaking to you, I want you just to get out of your seat and I want you to come to stand at this altar. Let's go ahead and come. Go ahead and come. I know there's others. I'm not going to manipulate you. might say, well, why should I come? Because it's an act of faith. What these people have done this morning have acted in faith. And see, what these lepers didn't know was that when they begin to move, God began to move. And that's why I want to encourage you guys this morning. Listen, God's seen you move. God sees your act of faith. God sees you overcoming your, your fears and, and your concerns and, and he sees where you're at right now and he, the thing that you've allowed to keep you where he's moving he's, he's moving on your behalf but God responds quickly to people who respond quickly. Anybody else want to come? <laughs> 